Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We just declare and express our love for you this morning. We pray that you would receive our gathering today as an act of love, an act of belief, an act of faith. We thank you for the way in which you continue to reveal yourself to us cause us to know that you are real cause us to declare in unity you are the one true living God and cause us to, to, to desire individually and collectively to be faithful and true witnesses that is our heart's desire Lord even our gathering today is an expression of that desire we recognize that we recognize you by walking in your ways We recognize that we recognize you by worshiping in spirit and in truth. We recognize that we love you by loving each other well, as Christ modeled for us. And I pray that this whole gathering would be a manifestation of that love, of your truth heard, understood, and applied and of all the amazing good fruit that comes when we do that. We pray for all of it to come. We pray for your word to come like a divine hammer. We pray for soft hearts prepared to receive. We pray that your, that your word would be unlocked to us, that you would give us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. And we command each of us, our flesh, to yield right now to the Holy Spirit of the one true God. May everything today point to you. May everything today magnify you and exalt you and accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a great experience to pray to that base. Keeps you, just keeps you going. So um, I didn't really have an idea of where we were going today and, and uh, got up and the Lord just took me super specifically to one story. And I think this is coming as a, um, coming with a two, a two part purpose. And one is prophetic warning, and two is understanding for application, for the purpose of protection. And maybe those things go hand in hand, I suppose they probably do. Um, but I think the bottom line is that this story is going to apply prophetically to some as a warning and it's going to apply to others as a teaching understanding piece to avoid the issue that's addressed in this story. 
so I pray that each of us receive exactly what the Lord has for us, nothing more, nothing less. I prayed extensively for, for this vessel to be set aside and for God's words to come forth. So I just trust in that, declare my trust in that, and, and uh, look forward to what God has for each of us. So um, what we're going to do is read, read through this story and uh, at times pause and go elsewhere. So kind of keep a, keep a finger in First Chronicles 14 or a bookmark or whatever. I'm sorry, Second Chronicles. And uh, if you're reading, I'm just going to maybe pause you from time to time to unpack a couple things. And then, uh, and then we'll go back to it. So let me pray one more time. Father God, we recognize your word is truth. And we pray and ask for sanctification today by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so the context of this story, uh, if you remember First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, basically overlap from a storyline standpoint and a time frame standpoint. So um, we've, we've done a number of, a lot of study in First and Second Kings. This is um, a book that, that, again, follows the same storyline and same time frame. So the time frame um, of this particular story, just so we're all familiar, it's essentially just after Solomon dies and, and the kingdom is split. So um, David was king had a united uh, Israel and Judah. And then um, Sol when, when David died, Solomon took over. And because of Solomon's disobedience, uh, the kingdom is split. And most of it goes to a subordinate. Uh, but two tribes stick with the line. And after Solomon dies, the southern kingdom, which stays in the line, goes to his son, and um, there are about two kings between Solomon's son and King A.S.A. Uh, Asa. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it's pronounced, Asa. Uh, but that's, that's basically the time frame. Two or three kings after Sol Solomon, southern kingdom, Asa is the king. And um, if you remember, the northern kingdom gets handed to Jeroboam, and that's nothing but bad kings and they go downhill very quickly and get taken into exile rather quickly. The southern kingdom is sort of a mixture of good kings and bad kings, so they last a little bit longer because of some of the blessings that come with the good kings. And Asa, by the way, is one of those good kings. So we're gonna um, read through, uh, in, in most of the kings in these accounts, have two or three paragraphs written about them. Um, and. Asa is the same. We're going to read the two or three paragraphs about him and, and uh, see what the Lord wants exposed. All right. Anyone, anyone care to read for us? Michael, please. Right in the eyes of the Lord his God. 
read those two sentences together one more time, Michael. Now here's what we want to connect here. There's a, there's a narration regarding this king in the first sentence, and the why is in the second sentence. So read those two again, Michael, and let's just focus in on these two and hear what's being said. Okay, so that's the narration. That's the insight we are given regarding this king, this good king, doing good in the eyes of the Lord. And the next word is for, which is basically the connection. For he did these things. And those things are? For he removed the office of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. Okay, now this is the first information we have about Asa. Um, he just stepped up to be king. One of the things that we learned from this that's repeated in scriptures, we're going to find in um, Jeremiah chapter 1. So keep your finger in Second Chronicles and please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. We've read this text before, but I just want to remind us this is a part of the principle of God, a part of the ways of God, and in particular a part of godly leadership and the order of activities that a godly leader will take on. So someone please read Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10 for us. Please. Okay, so this is Father God calling Joshua to be prophet to the nations. I'm sorry, Jeremiah. What did I say? Joshua. Jeremiah. Joshua was a good one too. This one happens to be about Jeremiah. Okay, so God's calling Jeremiah, setting him to be prophet to the nations. And, and he tells him very specifically what he's sending him to do and what he's sending him to do, there's a total of six things, and the order is super important. So Crystal, read it again. Listen to these six things and listen to the order in particular. Okay, so that sets the protocol. If you think about Gideon, if you think about Abraham, if you think about Josiah, all of the godly leaders, they all start with the same thing. They all start in the same place. They start with the same need because the way God works is very specific. The protocol and the procedure and his operations are always specific. And the start of, of a godly leader bringing reformation always begins with what? Root out, pull down, destroy, and tear down. And what in particular? Idols. Right? All of those things have to be removed first, and then what can happen? Build and plant. Why? Because God's not going to build anything on that nonsense foundation. Right? He doesn't put his stuff on top of idols, ever. He never mixes with idolatry, never mixes with idols, and never will ever tolerate that. So for God to build or do anything new, all of that nonsense has to go first. 
Make sense? So any man of God, any leader of God, all the kings that were connected to the, to the God of the Bible always started the same way. Removal of the idols. Removal of, removal of, the, of the altars. Removal of the high places. Right? So back to 2 Chronicles 14. This is the very first thing that he does, which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And now we'll continue, Michael, with, chapter, with uh, verse 4. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built forfeited, fortified cities. Okay, pause there. We're going to connect the dot here. And as this dot is connected here, this is going to this is going to inform the prophecy that we're going to be studying today very clearly. And in the dot connected is the removal of idols and the reward of what? Peace and rest. Okay, the removal of idols and the reward of peace and rest. Is this a theme throughout the scriptures? Oh my goodness, right? You cannot read prophets, the real prophets, the holy prophets of the scriptures, the holy prophets that the God of the Bible sends. You cannot read those men and recognize the direct connection between a lack of idols and a lack of idolatry and peace or the converse which is the engagement of idols and the engagement of idolatry and the removal of peace is this a theme in the scriptures it's literally the whole old testament story repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again the whole Old Testament story that points us to Christ. The whole Old Testament story that points us to the New Covenant. The whole Old Testament story that's given as a type and shadow to help us better understand the things in the Spirit that are affecting you and I right now. Okay? Continue, Michael. I think we're at verse 6. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for no man had rest. He had no war in those, those years. Read that sentence one more time. Lord, give us ears to hear. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, and towers, gates, and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. Because we did what? We have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest. Keep going, please. So they built and prospered. And Asa 
Benjamin, 280,000 men, carried shields and preserves. All these were mighty men of valor. Okay, so we have a story here about some, some promises fulfilled, right? Some, some blessings granted and blessings being, being experienced. We see in that? The blessing is what specifically? Peace. And the blessing is the outcome, not of prophecy. It's the outcome of obedience. And what is the obedience specifically? Seeking the Lord from a big picture standpoint, from an application standpoint, removal of idols. Right? We all on the same page here? Okay. When the people of God walk in his ways, specifically in the form of removing idolatry from our life, one of the things promised and experienced is peace. When the, when the peace is being experienced, usually something's going to come against it. Okay, listen to me. When the, when the, when the, when the time of peace is being experienced, something is usually going to come against that. And by the way, sometimes it's a big something. How big of a something? Let's keep reading. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, a million, a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to so Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephah <laughs> at Marashah. And Asa, Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. Amen. In your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah. Ethiopians fled, and Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians who were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. They, then they defeated all the cities around Gerar. For the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock, livestock enclosures, and carried our sheep and camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, so a high moment right now. A high moment because of a, of a man of God leading the people of God in godly protocol. Removal of idols, 
removal of pagan worship, seeking the one true God. Remember that God gave us rest because we what? Sought him. Because they sought God, they experienced and they, and they were holding this peace, this peace that God promises. And in the midst of this peace that God promises, because they were obedient, attack comes. Attack comes to do what? Specifically steal that peace. The man of God cries out to God for help in that moment. God helps, and, and we are sitting at a high point. A high point when obedience is being walked out. The promises that come with obedience are being fulfilled. The peace is literally being experienced, and it's all good. Life is good. And it's into the, this life is good time that the prophecy comes. But before we get to the prophecy, I want to talk uh, for a minute about false prophecy. And um, much false prophecy comes today uh, as an outflow of the false gospel that's preached today, right? And I don't want to spend a great deal of time on this because it's something that we've, you know, seems to, seems to almost apply every week. Um, but the, the prosperity gospel that's so popular, you know, in the American church, the, just the lukewarm, convenient Christianity of, of um, you know, a form of godliness, but ultimately no submission to God's word, no submission to God's ways, no obedience to his commandments, just, um, you know, what we see in much of the, of the lukewarm church, a, a bride of Christ who is, is ignorant to the word of God, ignorant to the ways of God. Um, the, the reason false prophecy works so well with that group is for that reason. They don't know the truth. They don't know the word. And in particular, they haven't studied the, the scriptures and the prophets in the scriptures in particular, primarily because they fall in the Old Testament. Um, but the bottom line is they don't, they haven't been, much of the body of Christ hasn't been exposed to biblical prophecy. Meaning the, the words of the actual prophets in scripture. And because that's the case, what gets called prophecy often is actually almost an exact flip side or a reversal of what actual biblical prophecy is. And, and, and from a kind of a basic uh, format standpoint, false prophecy is often, if you do these things, you will get this. And it's, um, it's often, um, you know, kind of comes in the form of just things that you hear often right now. The, the, um, this is the year the Lord has um, wealth being delivered to you. This is, this is the year of your breakthrough. This is, if you, if you sow here, you're going to reap this. It's, it's literally like often a, a, a recipe of, of, of actions, or it's simply just a timeline, a time frame this is the year of release, you know, these types of things where, where if you belong to God, you can expect to get this, this, and this. 
And, and really, as it relates to um, biblical prophecy, it's literally almost the exact opposite of, of, of what the Old Testament prophets spoke. There is not one that I can remember, Old Testament prophet, that ever told any of God's people the things they need to do in order to get rich. Not one time. Okay? So, but why is that so popular? Because it's super appealing to the flesh. Right? And it draws enormous crowds of people who just want a, a genie in a bottle God that they can sit back in this year of provision and just wait for God to fill their hands or wait for God to fill their pockets. Right? And, and the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason I think it's important is because I think that that false prophecy is literally intended to divorce the people of God from the truth from God's word that how we live matters dramatically. And the implications of how we live affect how God deals with us dramatically. If it's just the year of God's favor, then I can just sit back and receive. My behavior is never addressed. The prophets of the scriptures never, ever prophesied that way, ever. They always only addressed how the people were living and what they were doing. Is that sort of, you see the difference? Um, we've got to remain, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. We've got to remain people that uh, understand what the script, scriptures teach, which is how we live matters dramatically. Now, does the Bible teach that if we walk in God's ways, and if we seek him, and if we keep his commandments, that there are blessings that come with that? A hundred percent. Is that prophecy? No. That's instruction. That's biblical instruction. That's biblical teaching. And that needs to be aligned with so that we remove the excuse that every fruit that we are experiencing in our life is not a direct outflow of where we are sowing. False prophecy is intended to remove that thought. Okay? So false prophecy often says, if you do these things, you can have this. And by the way, the this is usually something of this world. Your best life now. Health and wealth, fame and fortune. Okay? This is what Bible prophecy sounds like. This is what prophets from the one true living God sound like. If you don't stop doing this, this is what's going to happen to you. That's biblical prophecy. Okay? Biblical prophecy is often spoken out when the things of God have already been accomplished. And the promises of God have already been fulfilled. And the people of God are actually experiencing those blessings. And when we are experiencing those blessings, the, the, the prophecy then warns us of the things we have to stop doing or those promises are going to go away or those blessings are going to be removed. You see the difference? It's literally, a di it's, it's like the opposite. So, so I want us to keep that in mind, keep those truths in mind about 
how prophecy works, works biblical prophecy in particular, because, well, let me make sure I, I hit all the points that I was trying to make here. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Okay, so let me connect a, one more dot real quick. When we talk about the, the promises of God, the blessings of God, are the blessings of God biblical? 100%. Are they promised by the God of the Bible? 100%. Are they tied to a year that he decides to let it go? Nope. Are they, decide, are, are they tied to someone's dream that foresaw all the people of God getting rich? Nope. Are they, are they, none of that is biblical. What is biblical? God ties his blessings and the fulfillment of his promises to our part of the relationship. What's our part of the relationship? Obedience. Okay? So when we obey, blessings are promised. When we obey, blessings will be given. And when we obey, obey blessings will be literally experienced in our life. Real prophecy usually comes when that is happening and the prophecy comes as a warning and the warning is if you stop obeying or start disobeying, that blessing is going to be removed. And that blessing most of the time is what? Going back to the very beginning, what is normally the thing tied to our obedience or our, our, our idolatry? Peace. It's not health and wealth, saints. It's peace. And by the way, peace is way more important than money. Listen to me, guys. Peace is way more important than money. Way more. Peace is way more important than money. Recognize this as an incredible incredibly repeated theme of the Old Testament. What is at stake when it comes to our obedience? It ain't money. It ain't health and wealth. The number one thing that's up for grabs is peace. Okay, so let's read the prophecy now. Let's go back to our story. Now we're in chapter 15. Michael, you're doing such a great job. I'm just going to keep leaning on you. Not yet. Oh, shoot. I was. I, I am supposed to go to Jeremiah first. Hold on a second. Okay. Uh, because I wanted to give an example. Super important. You never take my word for anything. We, we have to. The word is what sanctifies. The word is truth. The word is worded perfectly. It's the divine hammer. It's the thing that opens our eyes. Okay? So um, we've read it before, but we're going to read it again because Jeremiah speaks very plainly and very clearly and gives two very important examples of what false prophecy looks like. Okay? This was a long time ago. This was a long time ago that that God spoke through the prophet to illustrate what false prophecy sounds like. It's remarkable to me how these words were given so many years ago and yet how directly they apply to false prophecy as we see it today. So let's go to Jeremiah 23. 
Anyone already find it for us? Let's, let's read those two uh, verses for me, please. Go ahead, Diane. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, so that is the fundamental difference between real prophecy and false prophecy. Real prophecy, the source of the words, is Father God alone. False prophecy, the source of the words, is man. Okay? Real prophecy is going to align with the Father, God, Father God's the word and his purpose for which it's being said. False prophecy is going to align with the desires of a man's heart and his purposes. Okay, so God's speaking clearly here. Do you not listen to false prophets? They're not speaking for me. And when they're not speaking for me, this is what it's going to sound like. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. Is that what God says? No. What is at stake here? Peace. Peace. Listen to me. This is the number one thing that's at stake. This is the thing that the Lord is prophesying to our congregation today. Peace is what's on the line. And if you think you can have peace when you despise God, that could not be the more opposite of what Scripture teaches. We're not talking about money. We're talking about peace. It is impossible to experience peace if you despise God. It is impossible to experience peace if you despise God. Because, next verse. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Is that correct? One more in quotes phrase that literally teaches the exact opposite of what Scripture says. What Scripture says is if you follow your own heart, or to use the language we used last week, if you live by your feelings, where's that going to lead you? Straight to destruction. Right? So listen to what the false prophet says. You can experience peace if you don't like God. Don't worry, if you live by how you feel, everything is going to be okay. Okay, the scriptures teach the exact opposite. We have to be highly aware because this prophecy is very prevalent. This preaching is very prevalent. This theology is very prevalent today. And the outflow of it from a theological standpoint is false prophecy. And it divorces the people of God from seeing how their behavior directly affects these things that God has promised. Both positively and negatively. And at the heart of those promises is this thing called peace. Okay, so um, 
Now let's go to the prophecy, and I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 2.13 here in just a minute, but let's go back to 2 Chronicles, Michael, and, and uh, read the prophecy. Okay, so let's pause real quick, and we just got to remember these details, and this is such an awesome tool when you're studying. You're studying God's Word. You're reading through a story like this, and you hear the Spirit of God came upon a man, and he went to someone, and then you see quotes, what's getting ready to come is straight from the Lord. Everyone seeing that? Just look at the punctuation and recognize the words that are getting ready to come are straight from God and super important. What's the context that these words are getting ready to be released into? The people of God experiencing great peace. Why? Because they're walking in God's ways. They're following a godly leader who led them to eliminate and remove all of their idolatry. And they've experienced the peace that God promises because they sought him. They sought God, so they had peace. They went after the Lord, so they were experienced peace. This is the setting into which these prophetic words are being released. Go ahead, Michael. And he ran to me, Asa, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Okay. Just pause for a second and let that sink in. No. Someone paraphrase or Verbalize what you just heard. And? And? What's the other side? We got to hear both sides because you're correct, Susie, but, but you have to hear both sides because the prophet is very clear that there are two sides. Right? The Lord's with you. Why? Because you're with the Lord. Isn't that exactly what he says? The Lord is with you because you are with the Lord. The second piece is what? He will not forsake you unless what? You forsake him. You've got to hear both sides. Why? Because this is prophet. This is prophecy. This is real prophecy being spoken to the people of God in what? A time in which they are sitting in God's promises, sitting in God's peace, sitting in the, the, the reception of his promised peace. They have it. But if this warning is coming and the warning is, you got peace right now, but let me warn you, God will be with you as long as you are with him. But what? The minute you forsake him, what is God going to do? 
That's what's prophesied. You know what that eliminates? That eliminates you and I from thinking that our behavior has nothing to do with all of a sudden God's gone. If God is gone, it is because we have left. Are you hearing me? Thank you, Harmony. I believe that. Okay? Because the people of God have such a tendency, especially after the promises have been fulfilled, after, when we are sitting in the peace, when we are sitting in the blessings, when we are living in homes that we did not build and drinking from vineyards we did not plant, it's then that the prophecy is necessary. Why? Because the prophecy is a warning. It's not a prescription for how you get something. How you get something is instruction from God. And it's not a gift. It's the natural outflow of obedience or disobedience. The warning is after you have the promises of God because you did obey and you did walk in his ways, you have experienced his peace. Now you got to hear the warning. You got to seek the Lord. You got to stay connected. Because the minute you forsake God, he's going to forsake you. And you got no one to blame but yourself. And when that happens, the immediate manifestation is going to be a removal of what? Peace. Every time. It, we, there is no, you know, what this has to do with, um, uh, no, I'm not even going there. Okay. Uh, Forsaking God. What does forsaking God look like? Let's go back to Jeremiah 2. Someone please read verse 13. I know we've read this before, but sanctification comes by the word. Very, 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 very important truth that is working in yours and my life right now, whether we know it or not, like it or not, believe it or not, it does not matter. The word is clear. Right? First of all, if we forsake God, what does forsake mean? Let go. What else? Abandon. Remove, do away with, ignore. That's forsaking God. Remember, what does the prophecy say? God will not forsake you unless you forsake him. So let's just translate that. God will not leave you unless you leave him. God will not abandon you unless you abandon him. Are we hearing this? If we abandon God, we will always do something. There will always be something done by anyone that abandons God. And that is what, Kirby? Uh, Which is create a what? An idol. Every time. Why? Because there is something about the human that is created to have a God, right? There is no godless human, none. Every human has a God. 
Every human has a God. So, so you cannot ever believe that you can forsake the God of the Bible, ignore the God of the Bible, abandon the God of the Bible, reject the God of the Bible. You cannot do that and just carry on without a God. Everyone has a God. It's either going to be capital G God, which is a single, a absolute single. There is no God but one. There is no God beside him. There is no God equal to him. There is no God above him. Those are all texts from the word. You're either going to have the Holy One of Israel, the Ancient of Days, the stone not cut by human hands, and every other title he gives himself in the word. You're either going to have that God or you're going to have a little G God. Okay? So when God says, if you forsake me, I'm going to forsake you, we need to know why that is. This is a big deal to the God of the Bible because one of his titles is capital J, Jealous. Right? So when, so let's go back. Oh, yes, Miss Naomi. Uh, in Amos 6 and 1, the Bible said, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chiefs of the nation to whom the house of Israel came. So uh, when did David get in trouble? He was fighting all the Lord's battles, and he, he sent his men off to war, and he stayed home. That's right. And so what happened? He... He's at the top of his, at the top of his, uh, of his, uh, his kingdom, and he, his eyes yep. just happen to look over. That's right. And so, whenever you get comfortable, here comes something. Exactly right. When, when did the army of a million come? Oh. Right in the midst of the high point of the story. Yeah. Right. When is the temptation going to come? When everything's going well. And I think there's, there's something inside of us. This is my opinion. Um, but I think it's, if you judge the fruit, I think it's often true. I think there's something in us that's almost addicted to the lack of peace. You know, we have, we have so much familiarity with the strife and the conflict and the attack that when we are in peace, we get restless. Like, and that's when the, and that's when the, that's when the million are coming. Right? That's not part of my sermon, but holy cow, that's, I've just seen that so many times in my own life. It's like, I get a couple of weeks that are, that are just smooth and peaceful and what God promises us. It's like, we almost get antsy in that place. Yes, sir. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. So listen to that. So, so Michael's right on. And think about, I think a lot of times we think about this forsaking peace from a macro level, from a 10,000 foot level. I'm either going to have a big G, the big G God, or I'm going to have a little G God. 
And, and I think we, we get a false sense of protection that says, well, yeah, well, I, I, I claim the big G God. I'm a Christian. I go to NCC. Like, that doesn't mean anything. What are you doing today? You are going to have a, the big G God or a little G God today. And, and right after this service ends, and a little bit later on this afternoon, right? This is a moment-by-moment truth. You're either going to seek the God of the Bible or you're going to seek an idol. There's no third direction. There's no third party. There's no neutral ever. It's only you seek God or you seek an idol, right? So, so the prophecy continues. Michael, let's, let's just finish it up real quick. Uh, I think we're in verse 3. Uh, go back and read 2 again. Uh, let's just read the beginning of the prophecy on again. Remember the context. This is when peace is being experienced. This is when God's goodness and promises are in hand. That's when the, the prophecy was, was given. That's when the warning came. Go ahead, Michael. That's a passage to memorize right there, by the way. Absolutely. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when, in their trouble, they, begin, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him. And did what? Sought. Sought him. Sought him. I was just asking you to repeat it. <laughs> but when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him. He was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. There was no money? There was no success? There was no promotion. There was no health. Those are not things God promises. Those certainly are not the, the, the primary thing that's up for grabs as it relates to whether we are seeking God or not, forsaking God or not. The primary thing that's up for grabs is what? Every time. I'm hammering this point home because I'm coming, coming full circle here in just a moment. Go ahead and finish, Michael. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation, city by city. God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. That is prophecy. That's 
That is prophecy into a very specific setting that the Lord has given us eyes to see. And, and I'm just going to kind of summarize this. Um, hopefully this um, kind of helps with just memory. Okay, so I wrote down, when we are with God, or specifically in this story mentioned multiple times, when we are seeking God, or have sought God, the primary fruit that we are promised, the gift that we are rewarded with is peace. Okay, point number two. Is there an E in forsake? I never remember. <laughs> there is? Okay, I, yeah. I'm a terrible speller. Okay, when we are with or seeking God, the reward is peace. When we forsake or are not seeking God, that always leads to an idol. Okay? If we are with or seeking an idol, we can have no peace. So that's, the, that's sort of the summary in, in as easy as a way as I can kind of capture it in, in a progression that, this story, that the Lord showed me in this story today. If we are with or seeking God, the primary gift is peace. When we forsake and are not seeking God, that will always lead to idolatry. And whenever we have idolatry or are seeking idols, we can have no peace. That's real prophecy. That real prophetic warning is often going to come when things are good. Right? When we get comfortable. When the promises have been fulfilled and we're actually enjoying the things that God has promised his own, that's often when this warning needs to come. And in this story, that's exactly when this warning came. Right? So, so, so here is the, the prophetic warning for our congregation. In, in most of our lives over the last four or five years, we have, we have absolutely experienced sanctification, right? We have been, the Lord has revealed truth to us, truth that has been applied, growth that has been engaged, and many of us have experienced the fruit that is promised 
from that growth, promised from that obedience, promised by his word, and specifically walking in his ways. And the prophetic warning is, the risk is that as we have experienced some of those blessings, and the primary one being what? Peace. As we have experienced some of that peace, the warning is you got to stay connected. Because the minute you forsake God, he does what? Right? And it, and it will often, you know, the flesh is so protective against itself. The, 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 the tragic manifestation of that biblical truth coming to pass becomes this, this misbelief in our mind that none of this is real. Right? Maybe the whole God thing just isn't real. Because we had all this goodness. We had peace. And we had goodness. And we had clarity. And we were walking in his ways. And now all of a sudden life sucks. Maybe none of this is real. Or maybe the word is absolutely truth. And you have failed to recognize that you've left God. You've forsaken him. You've ignored him. You've abandoned him. And he has promised if you do that to him, he will do that to you. Right? So, so what do we do with that? And what's the, what's the practical application from a learning piece? Well, the learning piece, first and foremost, is we got to judge the fruit. Everywhere in our lives, we judge the fruit. Judge it as an individual. Judge it as a married couple, judge it as a parent, judge it as an employee. Every, every category of your life, judge the fruit. And if first and foremost, you recognize that in a certain area of life, you have a lack of peace. That's what God's talking about today, right now. Right? What is the lack of peace in the scriptures? What is the lack of peace in the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over? We see it as a type and shadow from a, from a storyline standpoint. We see it at a national level. Right? We see when, when the, the people of God are under a godly king and obedient, we see peace, national peace. God gives them national peace. And every time that good king goes and a bad one steps up and they fall away from God, they forsake God, God's word comes to pass. He forsakes them. He lifts that peace and they experience war, right? Is that potentially what's going to happen to our country? Yeah. Absolutely, that's a possibility. Is this country forsaking God at levels beyond what we ever have before? So, so would it be easy to look at this prophecy and say, uh, this, is a, this is about national protection or national intercession or whatever? I don't think that's what the Lord's speaking today. I think that story in the Old Testament, seen at a national level, is to, is to teach us the principle of how God works. And we're to apply that principle as individuals. And we're to hear this prophecy and this warning as individuals. When the, when, the, when, the, when the 
peace is lifted from you as an individual, it's not because the, it's not, you're not going to see it by the Philistines routing your house. You're going to see it as you can't get along with your wife. You're going to see it as constant conflict with your kids. You're going to see it as conflict with your coworkers or just, you know, lack of peace in those certain areas of your life. And this is what God is bringing to us as a warning. Right? The first thing we got to do is have the courage to judge the fruit, to expose the fruit. Once the fruit is exposed, what's the next step? What? What is the protocol? The protocol is always you got to root it out. Root what out? When you forsake God, what are you always going to create? An idol. Every time. If you have a lack of peace in your life, in any area of life, it will always be because you have an, er an idol in that area. You hearing this? You judge the fruit to recognize that an idol is present. The lack of peace will represent that an idol is present in that area. That idol's got to be uprooted, torn down. What are the other ones? Every one of them. Maybe to the same idol. Yes. Yes. Good. So that's the, that's number four. You gotta you gotta repent and then return. It's yep. Absolutely. Yep. In every one of those in in every one of those areas, but you don't build the behavior upon a foundation that's cracked, right? No marriage can thrive if a mistress stays in place, right? It's got to be eliminated. It's got to be uprooted. It's got to be exposed and torn down violently if necessary. And when that thing is violently removed, then you return to what? First works, first love, obedience, you know, this is about returning to God first and foremost. It's not even about returning to spouses if that's where the conflict is or returning to biblical parenting if that's where the conflict is. It's about returning to the Lord. It's connection to the Lord that, that establishes the peace. Right? So, so is this a prophetic warning that demands a response? Boy, I hope so. And And here's the... The, um, the next piece is we're going to see um, what this idolatry looks like and how it is walked out most commonly. Because a lot of times when we think idolatry, we just miss the mark because we think statues and pagan gods. You know what the greatest idol is? Self. And when self becomes idol, the... The fruit that comes is very recognizable. So we're going to do a little homework. Y'all are going to do a little homework, and then I'll get to you. Your homework is 1 Judges chapter 15. Especially if you're not in Tuesday night Bible study, I want you to read that. 1 Judges chapter 15. And next week, we're going to look at this story. 
and we're going to look at what Jesus says about peace. Because the theme is not an Old Testament only theme. It's repeated for clarity in the Old Testament, but peace is absolutely central to what Christ is offering and as an outflow of abiding, and, and that's what we want to discuss next week. Yes, ma'am. that's why we have to learn to what judge the fruit you do not go by your feelings I promise you everyone in this room feels like they're connected to God because the flesh is always going to do that for self-preservation alone the flesh will deceive itself I haven't, I haven't left God I still love God I'm still connected to God I still believe I'm still committed I promise you the flesh will feel that until the day you die that's why we don't judge. That's why we don't go by the feeling. We judge the fruit. Excellent point. Do we need to become fruit expert, fruit inspection experts? Only if we desire to be protected from this stuff. Only if we desire to have prophetic warnings like this actually save our marriages or our parenting or our employees. Because this is real, guys. I'm telling you, this is a real warning today. I had absolutely no thought of this stuff this morning until, I, until the Lord gave this to me. No thought of it. No thought that we were going to go this direction. I'm telling you, this is a real-time prophetic thing for us. So I pray to God it accomplishes its purposes. Yes, ma'am. Let's, let's look at this. Um, when Asa and the people of God were sitting in that place of peace, 
the attack came. They recognized the attack, and what did Asa do? He, he literally prayed, and this is the prayer. Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So, so what is this man of God's response when the, when the fight comes? He prays for help. Right? What did we just get through um, being taught on intercession? Intercession number point number two was what? Praying for eyes to see. Right? Anytime we pray for that level of level of intercession, we're asking for God to show them what? The truth. Or show us the truth. Right? So I think that's the answer, Val. When you recognize, okay, I got a lack of peace right here. First thing the Lord is showing me, if I got a lack of peace, that's fruit that is exposing an idol. An idol that I am giving my heart to versus giving it to God. An idol that is pulling me away from the Lord. Show me what that idol is. Come against that idol itself. You know, I don't, that's the, that's the spirit led peace. But I don't think it's, you know, we got to rely on God for every part of this. We got to rely on his spirit for every part of this, even exposing what the idol is, because that's a huge thing. You don't think the enemy keeps these idols hidden? I mean, he is a absolute master and that will be his desire in every one of these cases to keep the idol hidden. Right, because the minute we expose it, then we can do the only thing we got to do: repent and, and watch God prune it. And that's a prayer that God will answer, because God wants. God's to God's promised to answer that. God has promised to answer that prayer. Yes, Michael. 